Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. I want to uh, talk tonight about this phrase, sudden awakening, gradual cultivation. The words uh, awakening or enlightenment, um, very mysterious, maybe inspiring, maybe daunting or confusing words. You might have your own ideas of what enlightenment means. I don't usually use the word enlightenment because it seems uh, like such a mm, a remote possibility uh, for many people, um, and seems um, seems like a a final resting place. Uh, I prefer the words um, awakening or freedom, um, but it's clear that it's possible to wake up to seeing life in a new way, a way that connects us to our deepest truth and the goodness and the love inside that just wants to shine through when we don't get in the way. The Buddha's line uh, that has always inspired me says, um, if it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. But it is possible, and this is why I teach. Some uh, think of the word uh, enlightenment or awakening as... um, the end of the path, oh, when I get enlightened magically 3,000 lifetimes from now or five lifetimes from now or who knows when, um, as some kind of, um, as I said, final place. Uh, but others think of awakening as really the the beginning of the path. So it depends what how you're defining it, if it is an opening to a very different reality that changes you, that shifts your perspective, or if you're talking about uh, complete freedom. And I wanted to share just a, f- a, a couple of different models and then talk about this... Um, Sudden Awaking Gradual Cultivation, which is a, um, a well-known phrase in, in certain uh, Dharma teachings. Mm. In the, the Theravadan body of teachings, Theravadan, for those who are kind of not familiar with, uh, with uh, Buddhist traditions, the Theravadan uh, means the Way of the Elders, Tara, T-H-E-R-A, means elder, and Theravadan, the Way of the Elders, and it is, uh, that's the, the body of teachings that come from uh, Southeast Asia, from 
uh, Sri Lanka and Burma and uh, uh, and Thailand. They're practiced mainly now and in India. They act, they come from the Buddha. Those are the earliest teachings of the Buddha uh, using the the discourses that have come down to us, the Pali Canon, and that's the the lineage that uh, uh, the teachings from Spirit Rock come from the Theravadan lineage of using the the original teachings of the, of the Buddha as the the basis for uh, for practice, and then there's two other traditions uh, for those who are not familiar: the Mahayana tradition, which is uh, in China and uh, Korea and Japan. This is a Mahayana monastery, uh, a Chan monastery from the from the Chinese, uh, and they welcome us, even though we're Theravadan. Uh, they're, they're very, um, uh, very, very gracious and, uh, and, and really enjoy having us here. Some Mahayana um, sects or Tibetan sects, Vajrayana, Vajrayana is the Tibetan teachings, um, look at the Theravadan as a kind of... Uh, mm, Lesser, uh, lower class, uh, and, the, and Theravadan by uh, is sometimes called somewhat pejoratively uh, the Hinayana. Hinayana yana means vehicle, so Hinayana it actually translates as lesser vehicle. Mahayana greater vehicle, Vajrayana supreme vehicle. You know? <laughs> One friend says uh, uh, had this line. Uh, uh, lesser vehicle, greater vehicle, all vehicles will, will be towed at owner's expense. Uh, <laughs> I've got the big car. I've got, but anyway, uh, some of my best friends are Tibetan, as, uh, and I, have, <laughs> I say that uh, um, playfully and also sincerely. Some of my uh, most inspiring teachers uh, have been uh, are from Vajrayana tradition. Anyway, from in the Theravadan uh, uh, lineage, this idea of awakening is a very much a gradual um, process. Uh, and there are... Um, let's see if I can explain this quickly. Four stages of enlightenment, what's called enlightenment in the Theravadan. At the fir- and there is various mm, uh, fetters or defilements of mind that drop away. This is in the very classical. I'll give you the classical model, and I'm not a card-carrying Theravadan, so uh, it doesn't always work in this way, but just the, the classical, how it's depicted. In the, the first stage of enlightenment is called Entering the stream where you are, where you've had a very profound glimpse that uh, changes you. Uh, and in that first one, there are the first three fetters that fall away that is, belief in this idea of who we think we are, belief in self as being separate. Uh, doubt about the path, doubt that this this doesn't lead. Once you are in that stream entry, sotapanna, it's called, you are clear that this is onward leading and that this will lead to uh, 
um, full awakening, and uh, belief in rites and rituals. That is, uh, that if you say the right prayer or mantra or do the right uh, do the right ritual, that you will be saved. That's all skillful means, but that's not where real awakening is. So that's the first stage. Second stage, called Sakaragami, which means uh, once returner. Oh, and if you're in the Sotapanna, the stream enterer, it's said that you have a maximum of seven rebirths. So uh, some teachers say, you know, go for stream entry because then it's irrevocable. In, inevitable, okay, and then uh, the sakadagami is one one rebirth more, and you are uh, besides those first three, ill will and sense desire are greatly lessened. Third stage, non-returner, uh, where um, uh, those last two sense desire and uh, and aversion fall away completely. And then in the fourth stage, fully enlightened, the last five fetters are removed, being uh, attachment to material form, to this body, and also to higher states of concentration, attachment to immaterial form, that is higher formless, what's called formless states of concentration, and then the last three fetters, conceit, restlessness, and any kind of ignorance or forgetting. Okay, don't worry about all this. I'm just giving you the lay of the land. So that's a, a gradual kind of a, a path. And at certain times, it's said that you open up to a cer- to this a new perspective, and you're uh, and you don't slide back. Okay, so that's clearly a kind of gradual uh, path. And you uh, keep on practicing, and perhaps in time you'll you'll go through those stages. Who knows? I'm just telling you how it it's, what it says. Um, then there's in the the um, Mahayana uh, in in Zen. There's the the uh, idea of satori or kensho, where you have an immediate awakening that uh, you're free, it said. Kensho is like a, a, um, uh, a, an opening, a glimpse in Satori. It's a deeper kind of fulf- fulfillment of that. So that's a very uh, immediate, okay, wow, I've, I've gotten enlightened. Of course, it's tricky because if somebody says, I'm enlightened, they probably aren't because there's a lot of I there. So it's a kind of very uh, uh, um, a paradox on that. Anyway, there's many different models. So who knows? I'm saying this with just putting out who knows. But one thing that is clear is that people, and you don't have to be uh, a monk in a cave in in Asia, sitting for years and years. People right here in the Bay Area, or even in uh, uh, in in Mid America, or any place, uh, 
can have very profound openings that change the way we see things. They might happen on a meditation retreat, on the cushion. Often that does happen. It's not the only way it happens, but it's possible, and I've seen many, many times, where whether it's called deep, profound awakening or a very radical shift in perspective, it's very... Um, uh, it, it's, it's not uncommon that that happens. And certainly, even on retreats, many, many people see things in a new way that says, oh my goodness, I've, I've never seen my life like this before. Sometimes those, those understandings are very, very deeply impactful. Might happen on the cushion, but it also can happen off the cushion. And actually, in, in the Pali Canon, there's many, many more instances. The Buddha gives a discourse, and at the end of the discourse, those lucky people in the audience, uh, and they all had the eye of the Dhamma opened in them, and they saw clearly, which is, there's a certain wording that says, they became awakened, Okay. So it can happen just by hearing a discourse. By the way, let me know if anything happens <laughs> tonight, but uh, you, know, you never know. <clears throat> but it can happen in the most mundane ways and, uh, or maybe even strange ways. And if you have been a, a student or follower of Eckhart Tolle, uh, who I highly recommend, who's the real deal. Actually, I've been listening to some Eckhart, I'm watching Eckhart Tolle uh, videos uh, recently uh, again, and he's great. And his story is, and he wrote The Power of Now and A New Earth, and his story is when he was 29, he writes about this in The Power of Now just at the very beginning, he was so severely depressed and suicidal, actually, that uh, he was at the end of his rope and uh, he said to himself, I can't stand myself any longer. And then he heard those words and thought to himself, I can't stand myself any longer. And he went deeply into just what that means. If I can't stand myself, is there one of me or is there two of me? And if I'm not myself that I can't stand, who's the I that's saying I can't stand it? His mind short-circuited, went in on itself, and he had a profound awakening experience that has never stopped since then. He went through a, about two or three years of tremendous disorientation of integrating his new perspective, but he never went back to his old perspective, and he's a brilliant, quite free being. Ramana Maharshi, uh, and if, uh, if you want to 
be inspired by another person who's the real deal, Ramana Maharshi, who passed away in 1950. His enlightenment experience, awakening experience, happened when he was 16 years old and he um, became very frightened. Actually, I, I, um, I got it off as I was thinking of, of, of sharing about him. I got it off the internet, of course, where else do you get it? But this is his description of his enlightenment experience when he was 16. Uh, it was in, and I'll just read it because it's interesting. It was in 1896, about six weeks before I left Madurai for good. And he went to this mountain, Arunachala, where he stayed for the rest of his life. That this great change in my life took place. I was sitting alone in a room on the first floor of my uncle's house. I seldom had any sickness, and on that day there was nothing wrong with my health, but a sudden violent fear of death overtook me. There was nothing in my state of health to account for it, nor was there any urge in me to find out whether there was any account for the fear. I just felt I was going to die and began thinking what to do about it. It did not occur to me to consult a doctor or any elders or friends. I felt I had to solve the problem myself then and there. The shock of the fear of death drove my mind inwards and I said to myself mentally, without actually framing the words, now death has come. What does it mean? What is it that is dying? This body dies, and at once I dramatize the occurrence of death. I lay with my limbs stretched out still as though rigor mortis had set in and imitated a corpse so as to give greater reality to the inquiry. I held my breath and kept my lips tightly closed so that no sound could escape and that neither the word I nor any word could be uttered. Well then, I said to myself, this body is dead. It will be carried stiff to the burning ground and there burnt and reduced to ashes. But with the death of the body, am I dead? Is the body I? It is silent and inert, but I feel the full force of my personality and even the voice of I within me apart from it. So I am the spirit transcending the body. The body dies, but the spirit transcending it cannot be touched by death. That means I am the deathless spirit. All this was not a dull thought. It flashed through me vividly as living truth, which I perceived directly, almost without thought process. I was something real. The o- I was something real. The only real thing about my present state and all the conscious activity connected with the body was centered on that I. From that moment onwards, the I, or self with a capital S, different from small self, focused attention on itself by a powerful fascination. Fear of death vanished once and for all. The ego was lost in the flood of self, big self, awareness, Absorption in the self continued unbroken from that time. Other thought might come and go like the various notes of music, but the I continued like the fundamental note, that which is heard uh, in the Vedas, a note which underlies and blends with all other notes. And he never went back to his small self. He also went through a few years of complete 
kind of disorientation, uh, but then reemerged. Um, so I don't recommend going for that, of course, you know, as your as your prescription to uh, completely either be suicidal or to to be uh, so uh, frightened that you come out the other end. But often fear does do that and shakes us out of our complacency. Uh, Werner Erhard, that you know, you probably many are familiar with Werner Erhard, who founded Est, and there's some things that maybe you might roll your eyes, but he had a very power, powerful awakening experience. He was driving down 101 towards towards the city from Marin or the other way, I forget which it, when all of a sudden he saw that he wasn't who he thought he was. Um, so, and many people growing up in the 60s, I can tell you, you know, many people had glimpses of awakening through altered states of consciousness. Again, not that I recommend that as a vehicle, but it's possible you see things in a new way. And once you see things in a new way, there's this line I love by uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes, who says, uh, a mind stretched by a new idea does not shrink back to its original dimensions. And probably everybody here can relate to something in their own development that made them see things in a new way. And so we had these mini openings. And even if you forget, you can forget, but it's there someplace in you. Uh, I studied with somebody I've mentioned from time to time, this Advaita teacher, uh, H.W.L. Punjit or Punjaji, or Papaji, who was uh, a Dharma heir of Ramana Maharshi. And I studied with him, an amazing teacher, who um, people would come to, and they would be in his presence, and he could either by inquiry, or just being in his presence, he had an amazingly high batting average of people seeing things in a new way. And what they often did, they would get their minds blown, and I got my mind blown uh, being around him, but then they'd, they'd go away for a while, and then they'd come back and say, uh, I had it, and now I lost it. Uh, could you do it again for me, basically? <laughs> so, even though... You, the mind has been opened, there can be a, a, a feeling of um, mm, despair when we're not living in that space in a consistent way. And that can be a, a very humbling and frustrating um, experience. And I know many, many people who've mm, sat on retreats and have experienced profound openings and then spent a long time trying to recapture that, the bells and whistles of that opening, missing the fact that 
what they touched is right inside. It might not have the bells and whistles, but it's right inside of us. And I know some people who, very uh, wise practitioners, who, who spent years struggling to recapture something until they finally gave up and then said, I'm going to stop trying to grasp. And then they realized that in the not grasping, they reconnected with what they touched early on. Mm. So now this idea of sudden awakening, gradual cultivation. And this is a term that um, a great Zen uh, master, I think from 12th century, Shinul coined, C-H-I-N-U-L. Because he said, even though he was a Zen master, and Zen is sudden awakening, sometimes, oh, you've had uh, Kensho or Satori and that's it. He said, no, you can have that sudden awakening, but you're still, you still have more work to do. It's a very um, blessed, amazing grace and one could say amazing grace to have opened up to a new perspective. But if there's any greed, hatred, or delusion at all in the mind left, then there's more work to do. And it can be very dangerous to say, I got it. I'm finished. And this is where say in the Theravadan approach, there can be that first stage of awakening, but you've got clearly some more work to do on this path. And in the Tibetan teachings, they have this idea of uh, if you're fortunate to be, to receive transmission, your teacher will point out the view, which is another way of seeing of saying there are these deep glimpses that one can see, but then you have to stabilize the view. And that stabilizing is a whole other, a whole other part of practice. So even if somebody has a profound opening, the idea then is there's a purification that still needs to happen because the habits of our mind and our heart are so strongly conditioned that even though we know better, we can still get caught. And sometimes having had a glimpse, as I said before, can be so frustrating because you think, I know better than to get caught. Why am I still getting caught? I can't believe I'm caught. I had this really profound opening, whether it's an awakened experience or, or a very deep uh, moving uh, impact of the Dharma. Oh, I know better. It's just my thoughts. I don't have to take them seriously. They come out of nowhere and they go to nowhere. But I'm really caught but I'm really stuck. I can't believe I'm stuck. And so 
the gradual cultivation is realizing that there's no problem in this. That once you've seen something, your mind doesn't need to shrink back and that what you're looking for is right inside. And the, the more you see, the more aware you are of how of what the truth is, the more you will see all the ways that you get confused. This is this paradox that the more you see and the more there's a part of you that really understands, then you'll see all the ways that you're still caught in your conditioning. Is um, this this passage from uh, Ramdas, "Be Here Now," and I've men- been mentioning him recently uh, as m- such a, a significant benefactor for for me in "Be Here Now." He says, um, "I'll just read it." As you further purify yourself, your impurities will seem grosser and larger. Understand that it's not that you're getting more caught in the illusion. You're just seeing it more clearly. The lions guarding the gates get fiercer as you you go towards each inner temple. But of course, the light gets brighter too. So the fact that you're seeing more You can't pretend you don't see anymore. But if you at all identify with your experience and saying, oh my goodness, what a messy mind I've got, then you've missed the basic point that it's all conditions, all habit patterns of the mind. And if you can move, I often say this, if you can move from oh, look at my mind, to, oh, look at how the mind works. That you are exploring the nature of the human experience with this laboratory that you've been given, and you don't take it personally, your pettiness and your insecurity and your judgments and your paranoia and your your lust and your whatever it is that grabs you that you're afraid that people will find out, that part of being human, if you can see that and not beat yourself up for it, but see, oh yes, and here's the human experience, then even when you get caught, it can be and in the best sense, should be a cause for celebration that you're seeing it. A line that I I often use from Pema Chodron, she says, take delight in that which sees the dukkha. Not seeing it, you're, you're bound to suffer. But when you see it, as humbling as it is, oh, I see it, like the Buddha saying, oh, I see you, Mara. I've mentioned here before that, that after the Buddha was enlightened, there's a whole sequence of vignettes in the Pali Canon where Mara, the embodiment of, of confusion, uh, the, the Buddhist equivalent to the devil, comes and visits the Buddha 
and says, there's about 20 or so vignettes like that the, the, in the Samyutta Nikaya, the connected discourses. Mara comes to the, to the Buddha and says, uh, in one of these vignettes that I, that I love, you know, you call yourself an ascetic, a real renunciate, you're sleeping four hours a night. What kind of a wimp are you, you know? trying to kind of knock the Buddha off his seat. And each time in these vignettes, after the Buddha is enlightened, the Buddha says, I see you, Mara. And Mara slinks away, curses, foiled again. If Mara can come to the Buddha after he's enlightened, cut yourself a little slack. If you get caught in the thoughts that arise... The Buddha didn't get caught, but uh, in those discourses, it's pointing out that those thoughts could still arise. They just didn't stick. So it's not that you need to do away with those thoughts, just seeing them for what they are and realizing that this process is a process of purification, of gradual cultivation, even after you've had a, a deep glimpse of the truth. And sometimes the process is gradual cultivation. You keep on sitting and sitting uh, or practicing or taking your Dharma practice to heart. And then you get these openings, a sudden awakening. And then there's more gradual cultivation. And then there's more openings. So it's not that you've arrived anywhere, but you keep on opening and opening and opening. Mm-hmm. Milarepa uh, is uh, a, 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 the great yogi in uh, in Tibetan practice, and two stories about uh, about Milarepa around this. One is um, he uh, he was the guy who sat in the caves for years and years, uh, living on nettles, and his skin supposedly was turning green because that was you know. It's like you eat a lot of carrots, you turn orange. You eat a lot of nettles, you, you turn green. You know, and uh, and then he became awakened, enlightened. And somebody um, asked him uh, uh, who was there when he was uh, leaving the cave that he sat in for uh, for years. Uh, said, "What is the secret of your awakening?" And Milarepa, in typical outrageous, irreverent Tibetan uh, fashion, uh, turns turns his back to the to the uh, to the guy, pulls up his uh, his clothing to reveal his butt, which is completely calloused, and he says, "That's the secret." Right? Lots of sitting. Right. <clears throat> Like I said, that's not the only way. But even more, as you... Uh, I'll tell you the other, the other story of Milarep in a moment. When you've touched the truth, whether or not you call it uh, a true enlightenment or awakening experience or something very profound that has shifted your perspective... 
don't miss the fact that life has revealed something to you that was somehow sensed inside when there's that experience of aha. You know that experience of aha? We can have small ahas and big ahas. When you have a mind-blowing aha, oh wow. It's that there's something in you that has opened up to the truth. And you can't ignore it. Sometimes you can think that you've lost it, but that capacity to see the truth has been in you all along. That is what is sometimes called bodhicitta, the seed of awakening. It's in you all along. And when you take refuge in the Buddha, you know, at the end of the, uh, of the sitting, we did the, uh, those chants. And the first one is, I take refuge in the Buddha. It's not just to that historical figure that lived in India 2,600 years ago. You are taking refuge in your own Buddhahood, your own capacity to awaken. That's why the Buddha taught, not so that people could say, hey, you're pretty wise, but he said, we all have this capacity. And so to realize it's right inside of you, if you've been graced with a really um, impactful opening, don't try to recreate the bells and whistles. That'll just get you frustrated. But know that something inside of you is calling all the time if you can quiet down and listen enough. It's right in there. This is what taking refuge in the Buddha is means. And the other Milarepa story that I love, which really points to this process of awakening and purifying, is uh, the image of Milarepa who has his hand to his ear. I've mentioned this probably a few times here. You can always tell the Tibetan Tanka with Milarepa if he has his hand to his ear. That, oh, that's, that's Milarepa. Because what Milarepa is doing is he's listening to the 100,000 Dharma songs It's a great treatise, The Hundred Thousand Songs of Milarepa. And he's listening inside. I get. He's listening to the truth. And our practice of learning to be mindful is listening to the truth in every moment. In this moment, oh, here's the breath coming in and out. That's the truth of this moment. This moment is a sensation, here's an itch, here's a, uh, here's a fear, here's, um, here's love, here is a sound. You're training yourself to listen to the truth, what's true in every moment, and as that habit develops more and more, you're getting better and better at listening to that deep, deep truth that's right inside. Because what it takes is quieting down enough 
so that the static doesn't get in the way. The static of stress, the static of confusion, the static of believing your thoughts. When you go beneath your thoughts, there's a place of genuine peace and understanding and love that probably each of us has touched. But to more and more realize that it's here if we can listen with skill and trust that we don't have to figure it out. This is right here, right now. Available to us. As, as Ramdas says in, in Be Here Now, he says, the next message you hear will be the next message you hear. Life is calling to us all the time. The question is, do we have our radar out or our frequency open enough to see the lessons that life is giving us? And this is what taking refuge in the Dharma is about. Taking, for me, taking refuge in the Dharma is, is another way of saying that life is giving me what I need in this moment to wake up if I can hear it carefully enough. And as long as we're facing in the right direction, this is where the sudden awakening and gradual cultivation is so powerful that if you've been touched enough to say, I'm going for it. I'm going for happiness. I'm going for purity of heart. I'm going for freedom, whatever it is that you're going for, whatever has touched you in a very beautiful, profound way. Once you've heard that and you say, I'm going for it, and you're committing to face in the right direction, it doesn't matter how long it takes. And one can see that there, one can see it as a path, I'm here, and when I get there, Wonderful, but one can also see that in every single moment is a moment of freedom. You don't have to wait some time in the future. It's right here, and in this moment I can be free, and in this moment I can be free, and the more those moments are developed and, and, and there's a, a trust in the process, all the purification and the stuff that gets in the way are little by little... Um, the obscurities are um, removed. And however long it takes, as long as you're facing in the right direction, that's good enough. I'll leave you just one last image that I like, that I perhaps some of you have heard of, um, that Joseph used to give, of uh, the, the um, path of practice or the trajectory of practice. He said... At the beginning, it's like there's a, a hill, a steep hill and a ball on the top of the hill, and it's not easy for that ball to remain on the center because it's very steep and there's not that much of a landing place. That's like the beginning of practice where it's not so easy to stay centered. As you keep on practicing... Even if you've had a glimpse of that cultivation, it's not so easy to to stay there.
as you keep on practicing and the, the hill becomes leveled out through, as Miller Rappa pointed, all of that, uh, that sitting time or practice dharma, practice time, then it becomes flattened out and there's, uh, uh, it's a flat, flat ground and you put that ball on the center and it takes a gust of wind to be blown off. As you keep on deepening your practice, the hill becomes a valley and that ball pretty much is there in the center. It might get blown off. Winds happen and it can get blown off from time to time. But this is where it naturally comes back to. So whether that awakening is up here or in here, it doesn't matter. If you keep on cultivating and deepening your practice and face in the right direction, that's all that counts. And every single moment counts. So, there's maybe time for a, a question or so if any, anything has come up from that. Question or comment? Going once, twice. This one right behind you. And put it right next to your lips. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Um, <laughs> are the uh, altered states of consciousness, uh, such as what you suggested in the '60s, are those a hindrance, or are those um, potentially helpful? The altered states of consciousness are those hindrances or helpful? Yes. It's a kind of, um, they can be both. Certainly, it's not, a sus- it's not a sustainable kind of understanding. That's, that's why Ramdas wrote Be Here Now, because he thought if he could keep on taking enough LSD that uh, he'd stay there and saw that that wasn't it and that made him go to India. If you haven't read Be Here Now, I recommend it highly. Uh, because he wanted to find a way to to really uh, stay in the places that he'd open up to. It can be an opening. It can also be, uh, I I know many people who've who've gotten stuck in, uh, in some scary places for a long time. So it would, I think it's a very delicate thing. Um... But there's no, uh, I wouldn't deny that it can have a positive fe- effect in a very limited, it can give you a glimpse, but it won't keep you there. Then there's, there's work to be done. And it's a very, um, it's, it's a very, uh, can be un- unpredictable. So I both honor people who say, this happened to me. And if somebody says, uh, shall I do this? Is this is this the way I I would you know be cautious about it? 
but no judgment either way. Thank you. Yeah. So let's uh, let's close with a loving kindness. Just um, whatever got you here, there's amazing grace in your life. And just to appreciate and honor that, that somehow you heard the call that could open your heart and know that it's right inside and maybe open to gratitude, the fact that you could hear that call and be a conduit for others as well. And wish yourself well. May I open to all the goodness and love and wisdom inside. And may I share my love well and be free. And then to extend that out to everyone here and all beings in all directions may all awaken to their true nature and share their love well. And may our coming here together uh, be for the benefit of all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.